available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, at long last, back to the Podcast of Champions with both Dave and Ryan. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. For the first time in three weeks, David, we're back together again doing the POC. I know. I know. It's, uh, yeah, I, I feel unfamiliar. I feel um, out of my element. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a new world. Um, we're back. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's good to be back. Uh, Cal OSHA just uh, said today, and the governor signed it into law here in California, if you're in your workplace, you don't got to wear a mask if you're vaccinated. This, this is can- the first time I've recorded this podcast without a mask on. Oh, very good. That's nice. In a, in a month and a half. <laughs> I did go to the gym this morning and didn't wear a mask. It was so nice. It's so much nicer. Um, Dude, oh my. So, okay, all right. But, like, things like the gym, like, how many of the people in there were still, like, masking up between their, like, workout shit? So you're saying the gym people were probably less likely to wear masks? Yeah, kind of, because they're gym people. Yeah. I just hated, like, being on a bike for 45 minutes, like, breathing heavy through a mask. It was just, like, like yeah, so I, I wouldn't I, even mind wearing not- a mask. I chose not to do that. I choose not to do that because of that reason. (laughs) Not just because of that reason. It's nicer. I mean, it's like a really hard workout. And when you're breathing heavy, like climbing a whatever, you know, it's like, oh, my God, having the mask on was the worst. So I'm happy to not do that. But maybe we we can be in the same room now. I know. Uh, Well, we can't really today. But other days we could be. Other days we can. And other days we will. Soon this will be a podcast where we – can obey each other's visual cues and not just try to uh, get words in edgewise. It's going to be incredible. I'm looking forward to that. I'll make sure the uh, little mini fridge has beer in it in the office and we'll, uh, you know, and we'll, we'll have we'll crack a <laughs> That would be good. If you have a question for any of the drunk POC uh, hosts, you can email us pack 12 podcast at gmail.com. You can call or text us at four, two, four, five, three, two, zero, six, seven, eight. We got a couple of voicemails. One I'm going to have David look at. One was like two and a half minutes long, David. I don't think we can play it, but if you want to summarize it, or we can just play it, who knows. Uh, but our buddy Perk called in again. And if you want to send us a text, you can do that too. You can tweet us at Pac-12 Podcast. The website is Pac-12Podcast.com over on Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash podcast of champions if you want to talk to other POC listeners. And of course, on Apple Podcasts, follow and rate us. Give us those five stars. We love it. Anything you write on there, if you give us the five stars, we'll read it. Could be uh, erotic fan fiction for one of our hosts because we've had that too. We will read that as well. But everyone, thanks for coming back to the podcast of champions. I'm excited to be doing this with Dave. It's incredible. We've got three new reviews, Ryan. Oh, nice. Okay. First one's from Awesome Donnie. Uh, Five stars. So obviously we're going to read it. POC, stay on track, Dave. Uh, Great chemistry, great podcast, especially when Dave is in the mood to talk football. (laughs) 
<laughs> Hitliday is a listener who asks great questions and tries to keep Ryan and Dave on track. Awesome knowledge of Pac-12. I wish they would cover basketball starting with the Pac-12 tournament. I have been listening since the first podcast. Great podcast for college football fans. Sick of SEC football coverage. Love it, Donnie. Yeah, uh, asking awesome, me to stay Donnie. on track is, uh, wow, that's like asking water to flow only one way. Um, Jerron Smith, five stars. <clears throat> These guys talk sometimes about Pac-12 football. Ryan and Dave have grown on me over the last few years of listening. While they are not who you'd go to for the freshest insight on your favorite Pac-12 team's tight ends coach, they do offer decently in-depth takes, in-depth takes on most of the teams. They also will take on a host of other topics that usually will not have a wide audience. Uh, example, Civil War generals, Disney princesses, etc. But this is the Pac-12 we are talking about. Audience is probably some to begin with. This podcast gets niche without trying to be in a hurry, but in the most lovable way. Could the show use more polish? Yes. Should they read and edit emails before reading them on air? Most definitely. Is Dave a liberal? A very earnest no. Is every episode a must listen? Nope. But most are great for those tasks that you can listen to while something, well, uh, you can listen to something while you work. Are there better Pac-12 pod, uh, football podcasts? No. I don't think there are any others, though. Of it. Thank you, Jerron. And then, there are. Uh, there are other ones. There's other ones out there. There are. Uh, this is from Jared Max, a five-star review. Can't remember what they said. I listen to this podcast at the gym. I never remember what they say or what is talked about. I think it's good information, but can't remember. The person that passionately covers USC basketball is one of the hosts. I think the other person covers UCLA soccer and is a big soccer addict. However, they both come across as very knowledgeable about Pac-12 football. Five stars from me. Love it. Thanks, That's guys. That's awesome. Appreciate it. We do have, like, we're really lucky to have such amazing listeners that are funny. I mean, just the, everything everything everyone writes in is a hilarious. So uh, great job, everyone out there. Well, it's incredible when you consider the workload for 12 guys to have this many different <laughs> Apple accounts and <laughs> to write such clever things over and over and over again. They are very, very good at what they do. Uh, but we do have we do have amazing listeners, so thank you for all that. And, you know, they constantly say they like the chemistry between us. So maybe we don't know what the hell we're talking about, but we're kind of funny sometimes and people like that. So, sometimes, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Dave all did a solo time, no. show. Not most of the time, no. Yeah. But some of the time, yeah. When you do the solo show, you get like one half of it. So it's not quite the same. Uh, we did, I did a solo show last week, so it's good to be back. It's good to be back together again. And as David loves it, we got a lot of news. We got some breaking news. This is David's favorite part of the show. I love this part of the show. The stuff that I just write notes in and he's like, wait, what are we talking about? Um, there's well, a pretty I big. Say, I would say your filter for it is like not my filter for it. Like what's interesting and what isn't. And then that time, remember when we used to have um, the intern, what was his name? Uh, with Micah? Yeah, when we had Micah write the notes in. I love Micah. Great guy. Uh, just a barrel of notes. And you're like, I don't even know what the, I don't even know who these guys' names are. I don't even, <laughs> I don't know who we're talking about right now. Um, this is, this is, this is my kind of note today. You like this note? So, um, the big news. Uh, scandal, got- scandal, scandal. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> a little scandalous uh, for the Sun Devils. I don't know so, about a little here. Yeah, like I was curious to get your take on this because when I first like glanced at it, I was like, oh, whatever. And then like family story was pretty damning. Wilner came out and absolutely roasted. Arizona State. We've got people on the record like David Shaw, 
um, Oregon State, you know, Stanford head coach, Oregon State athletic director, Scott Barnes. This is one of those things like you can cheat. Um, like if you and I are playing pickup basketball and like I call a foul on you, it's like, okay, like maybe it wasn't a foul, but it's sort of accepted. But this is one of those like rules that apparently if you break, it really pisses people off. I don't know what the uh, analogy would be for pickup basketball, but like this is this is one that's really made people mad. So if you weren't doing this, if you weren't hosting basically what was an official visit weekend for your spring game during a, the global pandemic, people are mad, Dave. Yeah, well, it's I mean, it's this is one where it's um, a real competitive balance issue because everybody's paying players or figuring out some way to get shady with the rules like that's not. I don't think anyone's going to call that out publicly because everybody's doing a little something. Um, you know, you can't ever be – even if you think you're a relatively clean program, you can't be sure what every assistant coach is doing. This is different because um, it's – well, it's two things. Um, however you land on the taking COVID seriously spectrum, and I know we've got a bevy of uh, viewpoints on that, some stupid, some not um, – it, it was a, a, a very seriously taken uh, pandemic for the Pac-12 and for many of these states. Um, this is obviously flouting all of that. And I don't think it's a coincidence that ASU, how many games did they have to have canceled this year? Three in a row. They, they had the opener against USC at 9 a.m. and then missed the next three. The only could program. Been, could it have been because they kept shipping in random people from out of state? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not kidding. Like, no, it, I mean. Because, so, all right, so, like, meaningful stuff, because that is, okay, you're in the middle of a pandemic, you're uh, probably aiding and abetting outbreaks on your own team. How many of those outbreaks spread to the random, to the outside community? Like, I'm not, literally, how many deaths did this cause? Because that's the, the framework that you have to think about this first. Secondly, from a competitive balance perspective, um, it doesn't sound like any of these. I mean, if David Shaw is going on the record and saying that, that sounds to me like there are 11 coaches pissed off about this because nobody else is breaking the rules like this. Yeah. Uh, if a coach is so comfortable going like that on the record, then that means he's very comfortable saying they didn't do it. And I have a hard time believing UCLA did it from everything I know about how they were handling the pandemic. And looking at all those other institutions, it's hard to imagine that they were flouting it to the extent that ASU was, if all these reports are correct. Um, This is really bad. Um, This is the kind of thing that I think actually could get him fired. Um, Because it's, um, this is the kind of stuff that reflects poorly on the university, not just on the football program, not just on athletics, but on the university as a whole. Um, And that's the kind of stuff that can get people, um, big money people and uh, the, the decision makers at the uh, university board and whatnot levels uh, pretty pissed off. Yeah. I mean like, you know, Ray Anderson and the athletic director, I mean, they came in with this weird, you know, not weird, but like the different idea of how to have a leadership model. And this just looks like there's a breakdown all over the place. Like you said, it could go far up there that this was going on. I mean, there's, it's one of those things where there's so many people that were involved. There's all these former staffers. Like basically it sounds like if you weren't on board, they let you go. Well, now you have all these disgruntled people, like people lining up to give notes to the NCAA and evidence. Plus you have all the kids that visited and most of them didn't go to Arizona state, you know, and like, Hey, were you there this weekend? And the NCAA doesn't have a lot of power. I was listening to uh, Pete Dan. will talk about this on his podcast. And he said, one of the things they do have though, is if, you know, they could, you know, not allow it, you know, the, Hey, you can, uh, testify on the record. 
you'll be uh, exonerated or whatever. You, you, you know, you'll um, I'm blanking on the word, but you, you know, you would be protected. Uh, this wouldn't come back to hurt you. But if you don't, if you lie to us or if you don't say anything, they could prevent you from going to whatever school you end up picking. So it looks like, and they have a dossier. How cool is that? Like, you got a dossier of information for this stuff. Um, it's yeah. a big deal. You know, like this is, it sounds like some of these cases take a long time, even if you have like great evidence. This sounds like almost it could be like over the, quickly. Yeah. Like the uh, varsity blue stuff. It was just like, when that came out, it was like every I was dotted, every T was crossed. You're like, well, oh, that's, okay. <laughs> that's the thing. This isn't, this isn't, um, the, the reason to fire him isn't a violation of NCAA rules. That's the thing. It's the, uh, lack of good judgment. It's the it, maybe you could even call this lack of control of his own program. I know he's directly implicated, but it sounds like Antonio Pierce is the one running the recruiting show to a right. large extent. Um, and this was, you know, uh, from every like the story is it, it's multifaceted because somebody on in the program was willing to blow the whistle on this too. Like having that amount of evidence just immediately dumped to you. And it sounds like there was a lot of internal turmoil in that program, too, like Antonio Pierce rubbing a lot of people wrong. Um, so I, I don't know. It sounds like um, kind of a mess, just like institutionally. And it's the kind of thing where, look, I don't even know what the NCAA would, would decide to do from an investi- investigation standpoint. I don't think this is the kind of thing they do like a show cause for. No idea why they would, um, you know, because this is uh, – the kind of thing where you're like violating dead periods. I don't think those are like major, major violations. I think those are like, you know, multiple minor violations. Right. Like, I don't think these are huge things, Um, but it's the, it's the perception for the university. It's the actual good sense that was showed or lack thereof. Um, And I mean, legitimately, and I, I I don't mean to frame it histrionically um, and I don't want it taken that way, but it's just simple math. If you're bringing in X number of people during a pandemic, um, you know, and it's the, it was the same thing I was arguing all of last year about having football. Yeah, it's a contained environment, except when you do stupid shit like this. Like, okay, you're bringing in random people from across the country. Have they been in a, a pseudo bubble? No, but it's this kind of stuff because you've got a million people making decisions, some of whom are making them very badly, um, yeah. and you can't control for chaos. This is chaos, um, but that kind of chaos, you can't allow it. Um, you can't forgive it. Um, so it's going to depend. And, uh, end of the day, uh, if Herm was winning nine, 10 games a year, I wouldn't even think ASU would fire him. But as it is, um, you know, they're winning seven games a year. Is is he winning enough to keep his job through something that looks, looks so bad. Like it's, it looks so bad. The perception is so bad. Um, is it enough to keep him? Yeah. And I, I want to get into like ASU's performance and what this could do to derail their potentially, you know, Pac-12 South winning season. But um, I, w- I want to read what David Shaw said about this on the visits. It's a disrespectful thing to do. That doesn't sound overly harsh. But for me, being a lifer in this profession uh, and a coach's kid, I believe in respecting our profession and respecting the other people in the profession. And then uh, John Gonzano tweeted out what Oregon State Athletic Director Scott Barnes said, um, he said, disheartening and disturbing would be how I would categorize it if, and let me say if, what is out there turns out to be accurate. And, we, you know, we have to go with that caveat too, right? This is, if all this stuff, 
is true. I mean, it sounds yeah, like, but it's obviously it, true. I mean, it's <laughs> obviously, obviously true. Um, if, if it wasn't true, ASU would have come out with the strongest goddamn statement immediately. Um, and <laughs> you don't hear mountains of evidence. You don't hear about these specifics if it's not true. It's true. Yeah. It's definitely true. Um, it's one of those things like you. The, question like, there, the, the only question is whether there is any, any additional or mitigating context. And I can't imagine what that would be. Yeah. This is one of those things like I don't think you come out with all of this if it's not true. Like this would be a tough one if it, there's egg on your face. You're like, oh, no, they didn't host anybody. Like you're, the report was completely wrong. Like you're going to look terrible as a reporter. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. But the, the 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 head scratcher for me, David, is like you, you can lie about certain things and no, it's probably not going to come out. It still might. But, you know, you, you have a good opportunity. Like this was one where you were like, basically, if people weren't on board, staffers weren't on board, get out. Like so you're firing people, which is, you know, a bunch of people. And there's disgruntled. And then all the the players that you bring in, what did you swear them to secrecy? Like, I mean, it's just one of those things where, and then you get the outbreak on your campus. Um, it just seems like it's just poor judgment. But like, don't you think, you know, you can cheat, but try to cheat at stuff you're probably not going to get caught on. Like, it's almost, it's almost impossible to think that you wouldn't have got caught for this one. Well, it's, it, it's, but that's, that's the important thing to take away from this is that it's very stupid. I mean, they were all very stupid. This is all very dumb. This is a very dumb thing. Pay these guys. Send them money from across the country. I, I'm guessing your ROI on that is going to be a lot better than a bunch of visits where 90% of the time they're out walking around campus, they're still going to have to wear a mask. Just pay them money. Send it via FedEx. Give them 50 grand each. You don't need to set up illegal visits. This is stupid. Yeah, It's just stupid. It's uh, it's um, recruiting hustle culture. Oh, we're just going to keep doing it. We're just going to keep pushing the envelope without acknowledging any of the surrounding environment issues. Um, it's just dumb. And uh, rightfully, they're going to get slapped pretty hard for it. So, you, you know, Arizona State's been like the seven and five program, right? Like, that's what we've seen. We felt like, oh, recruiting's going better. Um, this is a team that could break through. There's more, you know, more of the pundits are starting to pick Arizona State to be a contender in the South for sure. Um, I forget Wilner might even had him as his pick. I, f- I forget what, you know, what, but, but people have Arizona state has definitely been in the discussion. I, I mean, it just, but it always seems like there's some reason something weird happens and it's seven and five. And maybe it was a more talented team than that. You, you know, one year's a building year. One year's like, well, then this happened and this guy got hurt. Now it could be, wow, this team looks like it's ready to break through, but, this scandal happens and who knows, maybe there's some turnover on the staff. I mean, I, this, this potentially could derail things that, you know, looks like it could be a great season, you know? Um, I don't know any thoughts on that. Cause it just seems like this is one of those things where I, I guess Arizona state could overcome it, but it's, it's going to be tough. I think. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I think this is, I, I mean, legitimately, and maybe I'm, um, maybe I'm not assessing ASU correctly as an institution, but I, I, I don't, I think there's a good chance Herm Edwards doesn't see the season, right? Like, I think there's a possibility that happens. And yeah. if that happens, you can't measure what's going to happen from a roster perspective, from a, from a <clears throat> performance on the field perspective. Um, I would, if I were like, them, I would get out ahead of it and get rid of them and then see if you can salvage a season out of it. But the problem is, you know, the heir apparent, and, I, and you know, according to the, the report 
you know, from Pete Thamel, like Antonio Pierce, there was a power play kind of thing going on. I mean, if he's heavily involved in this, you can't get rid of Herm and let him take over because, you know, what if he was the mastermind behind it? I don't know. Those are details well, you, we don't know. But you know who's sitting on the sideline? Arizona oh. native. Arizona native. Guitar strumming. Rick Neuheisel. Let's yeah. Get, get him out there coaching yet another Pac-12 team. He, um, I can read the tweet. Like so, college college sports on SiriusXM tweeted it, and he um, kind of had a lot to say about it. There was like I don't know, I think a minute and a half or so. Rick Neuheisel. Weighed in on it, and he said, you know, if these are true, um, and then kind of the same sort of sentiments that David Shaw did. And then uh, Sean, uh, at Sir Minus, tweeted out a, a blurb about Rick Neuheisel. After choosing to leave the Buffaloes in 1999, Colorado was investigated by the NCAA for 53 recruiting violations, 51 of which occurred while Neuheisel was the head coach. Neuheisel got into even more hot water at Washington when he improperly visited five of the Husky recruits. Um so it, they took a little shot at Rick for uh, t- taking a shot at ASU, but I thought that was fine. But he he came out with some pretty strong statements too. It's good for Rick. Yeah, I went actually went on uh, Pac-12 Radio this morning, uh, and yeah, we talked about this a little bit too. But I I really just when I looked at it at first, I was just sort of like blew it off. I was like, oh, you know, it's what it's probably not that big of a deal. And then you start reading into it, you're like, oh man. And you know, I wasn't even really thinking of the like. The COVID stuff, which your your points are all very valid. And, you know, I didn't think about, oh, ASU missed three games in a row. No other Pac-12 team had to do that. Um, but, you know, I know, when, you know, covering USC, I'm not saying they didn't do anything wrong. Who knows? But, like, it sounded like they took it seriously. Like, they were lifting weights outside in groups of 10, and they had to figure out a way to keep barbells from getting too hot because they were sitting in the sun, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there was, there was some crap like that going on. Now maybe they did other things that weren't right, but like you're, you were hearing some, especially the California schools, I mean, Stanford going. <laughs> yeah. You're <laughs> hearing about these insane procedures they're going through for all this stuff. And I'm sure right. ASU had a similar amount, but also I, it's hard for me to fathom given that I know like players were not interacting with each other off the field or off court in basketball. It's hard for me to imagine UCLA then hosting a bunch of high schoolers on like secret visits. Yeah. Um, it's just, it would be hard to fathom. Um, or for any of the California schools, from everything I gather, or the Oregon schools, or the Washington schools, from everything I gather about the procedures in those states and at those universities. Um, harder to speak to Utah, just because the state, I don't know, I, I, I just don't really know how aggressively Utah uh, dealt with everything. Um and Arizona, I mean, at the state level, it was not as stringent, um, but still quite a bit more stringent than hosting out-of-state visitors. Like, that's that's unfathomable. Yeah. I mean, USC right now still isn't hosting any camps because their campus is essentially still closed. So I think for their visitors, they do, you know, they do special things for, and, you know, they could have done that back then too. Who knows? But I'm just saying, like, they're still not doing camps and, like, you, you know, there's still procedures if anyone wants to go on to campus. I think if you if you want to come to campus as a student in the fall, you have to be vaccinated. Um, so there's some controversy about that. We haven't heard. Uh, we'll talk about the the opening. They're going to have 100% capacity in the Coliseum, but we don't know about tailgating yet because um, right now it's like there's limitations of how you could be on campus. So there's there's still a bunch of restrictions in place. 
I, I, for this to go through everything that happened, it just sounds like, yeah, there had to be a lot of, you know, just a lax attitude towards almost everything. Yeah. Pretty nice. Uh, well, that was the big, uh, the big news. We got to talk a little playoff stuff too. I, I got to talk about this last week on the show. Um, so today and tomorrow, the college football playoff management committee, which is a bunch of ADs, they're going to discuss that proposed 12 team model, which I think came from like the working group, uh, Washington state's, uh, Kirk Schultz. He's the PAC 12 representative for the board of managers. Then the presidents will discuss it on the 22nd. But when this stuff came out, Dave, you know, and we talked about it last week, it almost sounded like it was just a done deal. And I wasn't really thinking 12 team model. I thought they'd probably just go to eight. Uh, it seems a little aggressive. There's some cool stuff. There's some bad stuff, but I just wanted to get, you know, since you didn't get to talk about it last week, I know you're a huge proponent to, uh, <laughs> well, I'll start with I'll start with the one positive thing I think about it, which is that they opt or the proposal is to not do auto bids. Um, it's the six highest ranked conference champions get bids, which is a much better way of doing it than just gifting every Power Five conference winner um, a bid. Yeah. So I, I like that more. Um, that's better than the auto bid. The rest of it, I, I mean, I've gone over it to death, and there's no point in rehashing it. I think it's all kind of stupid. I think if you're going to opt for silly fun, um, what I would do, blow it out of the water. Like, don't – why stop at 12? Like, make it – if you want to get the silly fun of the NCAA tournament, make it the NCAA tournament for college football, which means – I think it did the math. It would be about 24 teams. Um, make it, you know, one-fifth of the available schools – and make it that that's basically the secondary season. Um, yes, and does the NCAA tournament diminish the value of the regular season? Oh, you betcha. It does. Um, but you get a huge silly fun quotient at the end of it and a ton of participants. Um, I, I think that would be a better way to go. Than, I think 12, you're kind of now in like this weird middle ground. I, look, as, as, as vehemently as argued against six or eight, um, six or eight, you're probably still ending up with roughly a true champion every year. At 12, you're introducing enough randomness that there's going to be some weird occurrences, but you're not introducing so much that it's a ton of silly fun. Um, and that's where I think it's kind of missing. Um, okay. I think at eight, you know, you're probably still, you know, ending up with roughly a true champion every year. Um, and at 24, you're getting a ton of silly fun. Like you're getting, it's going to be stupid. There's going to be weird upsets. It's going to be fun because uh, there's enough games that there's going to be wild variants. Um, at 12, I just don't know that you're getting the, the better of either world. Um, so, you know, now that we're operating in the world where this thing's going to expand anyway, shit, man, I would opt for the silly fun. Uh, just go, <laughs> go 24, go 32. I don't care. Um, make it big and stupid. Uh, just with the understanding that you are going to have to either cut the regular season or treat it as the, uh, increasingly unimportant thing that it is. Well, so some of the interesting aspects of this, by the way, Jimmy Lake, um, was a, he wants to see the expansion. He came out, I think it was in Wilner's article. He was quoted or something, but, um, one of the things I kind of like, and if you're worried that the, he the whole, wants it because he's never going to get Washington to the top four again. Sure. But the, if you are a PAC 12 fan and you don't want to see, um, you know, Oregon or USC or something, be like Banta fodder for Alabama in the first round, the 12 team, you probably think the Pac-12 sweet spot for making the playoffs is in that five to eight group. Well, you get to host a playoff game there. So you could play like, you know, what if Oregon was playing Coastal Carolina or something at home in Autzen Stadium? Like, 
that's, I think, a positive for the conference. You get a win and then have to go play like Alabama or someone on a neutral site. Um, but at least that if you make the five to eight group and that's like right where the probably the best Pac-12 team will fall most of the time, um, you do get to host a team that you probably have a decent chance of beating. It's a little weird that the the, the top four teams that so they're the top four uh, conference champions, according to the rankings, they won't get to host a game. So that's kind of controversial. But if you're five through eight, you get to host a playoff game. And that would be. I mean, would there be a bigger game in Autzen Stadium history than hosting, uh, like, Iowa State or something uh, for a playoff opener? Like, that's kind of, I, I think that's kind of cool. I don't know what you think. Oh, come on. Yeah, there's bigger games in Austin history than playing in a fucking game to determine who's number ninth in the country. Are you kidding? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's... Um, I mean, in this scenario where the Pac-12 is basically in its permanent position as like a also ran major conference champion, yeah, I mean, I guess it's good to host that first round game <clears throat> before you're the sacrificial lamb. Um, I mean, I think the whole thing is stupid. Um, if you're not good enough to be in the top four, I mean, you're not good enough. But yeah, I mean, I, it's I, in the convoluted way that they've created this thing where the five through eight get this weird advantage to host a game that the one through four don't get. Um, and in some situations, the one through four, if you've got multiple teams from the South, one of them is going to have to go way out of region, right? To play there. <clears throat> Cause these are going to be the traditional bowl games, right? Yeah, I believe so. I think it's like yeah. that first this rose is like... sugar orange, right? Yeah. They'll be hosting the, the top games. So, I mean, you're still going to have things like Alabama or Clemson or whatever playing in the Rose bowl um, against potentially Oregon or uh, USC. Uh, so that seems like an obvious flaw in the ointment, fly in the ointment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it seems like there's still some things to iron out here. Um, I, I, again, I, I just, 12 seems like such an awkward number. Um, and I, I don't, I, I mean, I sort of get why they chose it. Uh, I think there's a theory going around that the SEC wouldn't do this unless it was 12 because they wanted to get uh, four teams in um, every year. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it's it's dumb. Um, I don't think it stops at 12. Um, and uh, if it's going to go that deep, I think it should go further. We There was, um, I think this was from Wilner, about the Pac-12 teams roughly receiving like $9 million annually now. It could go up to $27 million per school. I don't know how accurate that is because they haven't renegotiated this. Like this is, we're probably going to see the four-team for the next two years, but it could potentially go to, I think 2026 um, ESPN owns it. I don't, I don't think anyone else can really take it over. So it's sort of like you're negotiating against yourself. Um, it's worth more money to ESPN, but are they willing to just, you know, dump $2 million in this? Like I probably not, but um, yeah, it looks like, looks like this is happening. So, um, you know, we'll see if, uh, you know, when the presidents meet in a week or so, um, if something's finalized, I don't know when it will be, but I think they still have to like go through all the negotiations with their television partners and stuff like that. Exciting stuff. Last week I talked about Sam Neuer from uh, Colorado. He entered the transfer portal. So Colorado did announce that. Um, but we now know he's going to Oregon state so he can compete with uh, Tristan Jebbia up there. Yeah. So that's exciting. Judging by, you know, what I saw last year, I think Neuer's got a good chance there. If he, um, 
regains what he had at the beginning of last year. Uh, he struggled down the stretch. Uh, but I probably this speaks to the confidence uh, Colorado probably has in Brendan Lewis, right? I would think so. Um, it does make the battle in Colorado interesting, but also at Oregon State, they got, you know, Jebbia, they got uh, Neuer. You know, neither one of like, you know, sets the world on fire, right? But you got two potentially really good quarterbacks, so at least, you're, you know, your backup's going to be good. And then they got some young guys that are competing as well. So, but the, the quarterback transfer stuff within the conference, like you almost need like a separate category for that just because it's always, all that stuff's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and I just saw this before uh, we went to record, but Brett McMurphy, uh, he said, no joke, the new Los Angeles Bowl will be named the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl. It will be held at SoFi Stadium featuring Mountain West number one and the Pac-12 number five. It debuts December 18th. So, I don't know. What are you, like, Cal out there? You, you striving for the, the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl? Like, whoa. Oh, yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> Everything's stupid today. I mean, that's uh, what, what's the point? Like, is did his show really put a bunch of money up to advertise him? Apparently. Okay. Um, have you been to a Jimmy Kimmel show? No, I have not. It's not kind of fun. Well, now that we don't have the Tonight Show on the West Coast anymore, uh, that's like the one late night show you can go to. But if you know you got someone in from out of out of town, it's kind of fun to do. That's great. Well, I'm glad the LA Bowl already made some sponsorship money. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Uh, I don't know if you saw Bet Bud Elliott. His blue chip ratio basically comes out every year and says you have a, have to have a certain ratio of you know four and five star talent on your roster to have a chance to win the national championship and last year only USC and Washington were in uh, this year, Washington's uh, ratio blue chip ratio fell below his threshold and they're on the outside looking in. So there's 16 teams in the country. Uh, Oregon did make it in though. And I think past uh, USC, but USC and Oregon, do you think those are the only two rosters capable of winning a national title, David? That makes sense to me uh, this year, especially, um, and this is uh, definitely check out the piece. It's really good. Um, it's basically the, the formula is it's very simple. If 50% of your roster is blue chip, meaning four or five star players or above 50%, uh, you have a chance to win the national title. And if you don't, you don't. Um, and obviously in the grand long run, uh, that probably won't turn out to be accurate, but it has turned out to be deadly accurate uh, thus far. Um and, yeah, I mean, if you're just eyeballing things, USC and Oregon are the two teams with the talent. Um, Washington's probably just on the cusp. They're probably in the high 40s. Yeah. Um, but uh, historically, I know UCLA made it into the blue-chip ratio back when Mora uh, was doing his thing. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 these are generally the, uh, the four schools that can find themselves in that, USC, Oregon, Washington, and UCLA. Yeah. Um, now, uh, obviously, in a – you know, in a once in a blue moon situation or something weird happens, some team is going to make a run that doesn't have that formula. But um, yet another uh, obvious proof that recruiting matters and stars are good. Stars are definitely uh, good. I know he'll get slack on Twitter or flack on Twitter um, about, uh, I was looking at my slack channel, (laughs) but he'll get flack on Twitter about, well, Clay Hilton's a bad coach. It was like, he's like, this isn't about, development it's not about coaching it's just that the only way you have a chance to win a title is if you recruited this well if you didn't it's the prereq yeah yeah 
So, but people get all, he's like, that's not what this is trying to predict. This is not like, it's not trying to predict anything. It's just, unless you have that level of talent, like in basketball, you can do it with like a, but you know, senior point guard and a, but you know, you can make a run. It's just really hard in football. If you don't have those, those Jimmy's and Joe's, you know, you need all those guys. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and one last thing, I don't know if you saw any other stadiums, but we, I, I talked about Arizona announcing that their stadium would be full capacity, Arizona state followed suit. They're going to be full capacity. USC also did. I, I think the Rose, the Rose bowl did as well. I think the Rose bowl did as well. Okay. So there's probably other ones that I've missed. Um, but yeah, so it, this is a, this is a good sign. I don't know what tailgating will be like. I don't know whatever, but like just seeing, I, I think it was last week when I was talking like seeing the, you know, Utah Clippers, I think it was the opening round game and like a full freaking indoor arena, uh, was was pretty crazy to see that uh, going on. And then it was also weird to see like Ty Lue, like wearing a mask, doing a press conference by himself afterwards. I'm like, you were just in a stadium with like 16 or 18,000 people. <laughs> like, why are you by yourself wearing a mask? I don't know. But um, yeah, so good sign. Uh, you know, hopefully things stay this way and, and we get to have potential full stadiums in the fall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, looking, I mean, you know, as, as pessimistic as I've been, I mean, looking ahead, um, it's hard to see things uh, backsliding tremendously. I mean, I think you might see some upticks because of, you know, whatever, various variants and stuff. But it sounds like, I mean, first of all, people are uh, pretty gung-ho to just do this now. And um, with the amount of people vaccinated, it seems like there's some meaningful, um, you know, diminishment of transmission. So I don't know. It's hard to see things getting significantly more restrictive again. I mean, you could see some things come back in place, like people having masks or whatnot. But no, I mean, I think we're, we're going to have a regular football season, I would have to imagine. And um, more or less everyone uh, doing full capacity. Yeah. So cool stuff there. All right. Uh, any other notes, David? I got nothing, Ryan. Yeah. I am I am I am ready to All answer right. some questions from We'll take a quick break. Yeah. You want you wanted me to stop talking like that? Well, you, if you're going to pause, then th- you should stop. Because you keep, keep wanting talking. to, you just want to stick your, you just want to stick your words in between mine. No, I want to hit. The, I want to hit this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back on the podcast of Champions. It was an abrupt enter- entrance to the break, David, because well, it, it got a little awkward. Yeah, I was kind of arguing with you um, heading into it. 
Um, <laughs> and then you just abruptly cut me off with that beautiful music. <laughs> that was fun. But thanks everyone uh, again for tuning in. We got to get to some questions. Did you, uh, did you have a chance to look at that long voicemail, David? Do you think we should play it? What, what should we do? Here? Okay. All right. Hang on, hang on. Let me, let me, let me give it a quick peek. Okay. Whew. We got it. We got a bunch of questions today. Um, it's pretty long. I got it right here. I got it queued up if you want to play it, but it's like two and a half minutes long. Uh, yeah, hit, hit, us, hit us with it. What the hell? Okay, here we go. Long voicemail coming up. What's good, guys? This is Evan from Tempe. Uh, this might be a long voicemail, so I apologize in advance, but basically I, I was listening, well, I was reading about what Larry Scott was saying. Uh, it is kind of like exit interview type thing. And he said something, not the exact words, he said something along the lines of USC, Oregon, Stanford, and Washington weren't performing, and he kind of placed blame on them for his struggles, the Pac-12 struggles when he was there. Um, and so I started thinking, like, one thing I've noticed is that David on the podcast keeps saying that the reason the Pac-12 is struggling is because USC and UCLA aren't where they need to be, and that he thinks you know, USC needs to be elite, and UCLA needs to be, I believe he said, a top 15 team year after year. Um so I just kind of, I didn't really agree with that because, I mean, he was saying that UCLA is the second, David was saying UCLA is the second best program historically in the Pac-12, but I, I didn't really think that was true. Uh, you know, I mean, they've won one national championship, which is honestly kind of sad. And I'm not trying to start anything with Dave. He's one of my favorite podcasters. I, I just wanted to, wanted to ask a question, start a conversation, you know. And like, for instance, like Washington, like Larry Scott mentioned, has, a, has two, you know. Cal has five. Now, Cal's a terrible football program, so don't don't get me thinking that I'm trying to say that Cal is a good program. I'm not, but my point is if they have five, how the hell is UCLA, who has one, the second-best program, like if that makes sense? And then, I mean, like, for instance, Washington has the same amount of conference championships as UCLA. They got 140 more wins, and at least they have won a couple cha- uh, conference championships. You know, they did one one in 2018, one in 2016. I know they got killed by USC and by – and in the playoffs in 2016, so maybe that wouldn't be a great year. But my point is, like, the last time UCLA was any good was 2014. Um, and then, like, Stanford was good in 2017, was great in 2015, and they have more national championships than UCLA. So I was just kind of trying to figure out uh, where exactly he was coming from with UCLA being the second-best program. Uh, I know we said historically that's why I didn't include Oregon, because I understand where he's coming from there. But, you know, I, I mean – I don't remember. I don't even think I was alive last time UCLA won conference championship. So I just want to know exactly what way he meant by that because it seems like Larry Scott kind of agrees with me on that. And um, Larry Scott's an idiot, so it's not necessarily a good thing that he agrees with me. But I think a lot of people would agree with me. So uh, if I could get your uh, thoughts on that, again, I'm not trying to argue with you or you know talk shit to you or anything. I just kind of want to know what you thought, and maybe if I get Ryan's thoughts, that'd be great as well. So thank you guys. Good stuff, Evan. So. Um, I want to read off to you the five national championships that Cal has in the years that they came in. Are you ready, Brian? Yes, I'm ready. 1920, 1921, 1922, 1923, and 1937. I, I assume that's also before Evan was born. Yes, uh, quite a bit before. Uh, and I would, I would argue that Cal has not been good since 1937. Uh, Stanford's national titles are in 1926 and 1940. So we're getting close to, uh, to the United States' participation in World War II, but not quite there uh, when, when Stanford was uh, last a national title winner. Uh, and that's not to say UCLA's has been particularly recent, but if you go back and look, um, UCLA uh, 
is, I think, tied for second with Washington for most conference titles since it was a real conference. Um, behind USC. Obviously, USC is the dominant power. Um, but, I mean, UCLA has a real um, uh, pedigree in, in relatively modern college football. I think it's been an awful, as I have no doubt testified many times on this podcast, it's been an awful 23 years since UCLA uh, was last good enough to win the conference. Um, but um, historically, I mean, I think it's it basically goes USC, obvious number one, no close second, and then Washington, UCLA in this long battle for number two, where Washington has definitely made up some ground in the last 20 years. Um, but uh, I don't think there's much question about that when you think about it in terms of modern history, because um, you do have to go back to uh, like leather helmet days to find national titles for Cal um, and Stanford. Um, but that's not to say that like your point isn't in that your point is invalid. Um, Cause I'm talking historically UCLA has not been that in the last 23 years. Um, when I'm arguing that they need to be better, I'm not saying that um, <laughs> when I'm saying they should be a top 15 team every year, I mean, they should be recruiting like a top 15 team every year because that's what the recruiting base says they should do. Um, and if you do that and the coaching is adequate, you should be pretty good every year too. Um, what it has been for the last, again, 25 years is they've made a lot of bad hires. Um, Chip Kelly was unlucky. They made a good hire there. It just hasn't worked out. Uh, Jim Mora, a mediocre hire turned out to be better than it was, but Rick Neuheisel and Carl Durrell and Bob Toledo were all bad hires. Um, and it, uh, killed the program when it was, I mean, UCLA was the first number one, I think, in the BCS rankings ever um, in 98, and then it just completely fell off a cliff. Um, but anyway, the recruiting base is what sustains it as a potential power um, in perpetuity, really. Um, but it just hasn't gotten there very recently. So it's completely understandable that you think that's nonsense um, because it, it has been for about two decades now. Um, and Oregon and Washington, for sure, have taken um, more of the, um, I don't know, market share or whatever you want to call it for football. Um, and the reason Larry Scott is talking about Stanford and Washington and Oregon there is because they fell off in his watch, on, on, under his watch, um, you know, when he started in whatever it was. When did he start? 2009, 2010? Uh, 2009, yeah. They were beginning to peak. And then they dropped off considerably in 2013, 2014 with basically a power vacuum at that point because USC didn't step up. UCLA, which had long been the number two in the conference, continued its doldrums. Um, so, uh, yeah, long way of saying you're not completely off base. I mean, it's, it depends on your like kind of time horizon that you're looking at. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you look at like SRS rankings, if you want to look at like the historical rankings of the programs, it's USC then UCLA, then very close behind UCLA, it's Washington. Yeah, no, I would agree. It's I, I mean, just, I mean, just the markets that you're in, like you need USC and UCLA to be good. It just helps the entire, you know, even though UCLA hasn't, not, none of the schools have, you know, like they've, uh, they've been, uh, you know, boxing below their weight class, I guess you could say. So you need to get these, those programs back, but just being in Los Angeles, it's good to have LA teams be good. And that helps, you know, it's like that, that rising tide for all the boats. Yeah. So, all right. SRS, 
UCLA is the 25th best program all time, and that's behind a bunch of shit that's like non-existent anymore, like Iowa pre-flight. So among real programs, it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And Washington is 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, 21, 22. So UCLA 15th, Washington 22, USC is 1, 2, 3 all time. Um, and then after Washington, it's Stanford, which is 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27th. Um, and then Oregon's after that at somewhere in the 30s, then Cal quickly after that. So kind of the way it goes. Uh, but UCLA, yeah, they've been dropping off for a while now. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks for that one, Evan. I like Evan's uh, voicemails. You want me to play Perks too? We got another Yeah, why not? Voicemail. Let's knock okay. it out. Here's Perk. <clears throat> hey guys, it's Perk. Uh, I just wanted to raise some points about uh, Dave's objection to the expansion of the playoff with a six-team format where you'd have uh, five of the Power Five conference winners and then an at-large bid for the best group of five team or Notre Dame. Um, I think Dave does, you know, I think you do a really good job of, of asking the question of whether people just want more games or they want a better way of determining a champion. Um, and I truly think that a 16 playoff would do that. Um, and, and as for the argument of, you know, all it takes is a, a quarterback or someone getting injured in a championship game and then a bad conference winner making it. Uh, I, I guess my question is, when has that in the last 20 years happened? And when has it happened on a regular basis? Because I think Clemson kind of proved it this year. They struggled without Trevor Lawrence, and it was kind of proven that Clemson wasn't the team everybody thought it was when they uh, when they got beat by Ohio State. And um, I would just say, if you're down a quarterback and you lose that bad, I don't think you're truly an elite team. Um, and as for the um, the first round buy argument, I think it's been pretty clear since they've done the playoffs that there is a, indeed uh, a pretty big separation between teams one and two to three and four especially in years like 2019 where LSU and Ohio State were a lot more dominant. And I don't think having a, a first-round buy is really that big of a deal, especially because I think we already have one. It's pretty much whoever plays Oklahoma and Notre Dame. <laughs> um, so I think this would easily eliminate the fatigue that people have of Alabama winning the national championship every year, which seems to be why people want extended playoff. Um, so I just wondering what your guys' thoughts are if the six team Six team would uh, would make any sense given now they're wanting to go to twelve. Thanks, guys. Yeah, I mean, like I said up top, I think six or eight would make a lot more sense than twelve um, as far as like determining a real champion. Um, if that's still the goal, I think if they're going to twelve, the obvious goal is they want to make money, um, and making money is uh, generally done easier by making it stupid, silly, fun. That generally doesn't result in you know necessarily the best team winning. Um, but yeah, and if the priority is still um, getting the best team, I mean, I think it's four works fine. Um, I think six or eight would more or less get the job done. Uh, Twelve seems uh, overkill for that purpose, but that seems obviously to not be the purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, we I think we talked about this a lot. So uh, yeah, I mean, twelve was a weird one to me. I'm sort of growing on me. I'm just like, oh, and I, and I like some of the thought that was put into it. It's not just we went from two to four and then we went from four to eight. Like, yeah, this is kind of interesting. So I just like, I like interesting stories. 12 just makes it a little more interesting to me, but it would be more sloppy fun if it was like 16 or, or more like Dave would say. Yeah. 
Uh, cool. All right. Well, that's all the voicemails I had today. All right. Where did start... you leave off with questions? I'll go. I think it's Frank in Sacramento. I think Larry likes to roll dumb, and I'll play this. What's good, guys? This is Evan oh, from Tempe. That's the wrong one. This is this one. The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Press the wrong button there. Uh, I can roll. I, I rolled dumb. Ryan Abraham rolled dumb on that one. Uh, this is from Frank in Sacramento. Funny how Larry Scott, he spells it with one T, took a swipe at USC for not being nationally a nationally relevant program during his tenure as a reason for his failings. He's the guy who piled on by making the nut decision that the Trojans could not play in the conference championship games once USC's bowl ban was announced by the NCAA. This move further aided the, de- the descent of USC from national prominence over the last decade. I don't know if that was a reason, but... No, come on. Come on, I think, Frank. It, it, I think, does, it didn't matter. I think, like, when you saw, like, some of the allegations or whatever, like the NCAA stuff against Penn State, um, I think the Big Ten was behind Penn State and try to protect, you know, one of their marquee programs. The the Pennsylvania State Legislature did stuff. Uh, when USC got those sanctions and, you know, at the end of the Pete Carroll era, Lake Kiffin era started, the Pac-12 didn't really, um, you know, stand up for USC in that case. So if you want to argue anything, you could maybe say that. Um, yeah, but this, this is, this is, this is, no, this is chicken shit. Who cares? Um, yeah. And it, 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 come on, it gave us the funniest thing in the world, Frank. It gave us, it gave us six and six Rick Neuheisel in the conference championship game in 2011. <laughs> it did do that. Didn't we all enjoy that? Come on. It's fresh off of, fresh off of 50 to nothing getting into the conference title game. That was so cool. Rick, I, I totally forgot that was Rick Neuheisel's team. Yes. <laughs> that was so Even cool. Even more reason. The gloves, without gloves. And he still made it to the conference championship game. So like, yeah, picked themselves up off the mat to like play a decent quarter against Oregon in the conference title game. Amazing. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Um, actually, we skipped over Danny's re-ask of his question, so I'm going to go back to that. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, so this UCLA at SoFi question, he wanted my take on it. Uh, or wait, no, did he ask it again in his second email? Maybe he did. I, th- I think it might have been a second. Oh, okay, email. yeah, he did. That okay. was just we'll, the last email. We'll get to it in a second, then, Danny. You hold your horses. All right. I'm going to ask. Uh, I'm going to answer Jerron's question here. This is from Jerron Smith. Or Jerron in Vancouver. Well, now I've just given away everything. Jerron, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you gave his last name and then tell everyone where he's Oh, from, my so God. Yeah, no, now, now everyone knows where you are. Uh, proposed playoff format, the most win-win-win option. Hi, Ryan and Dave. I know there are many issues the PAC faces that will not be directly remedied by changing the CFP to the proposed new format. Uh, example, keeping recruits on the West Coast and getting USC back to being USC. Television contracts, kickoff times, game exposure to the Eastern time zones. The growing money gap between the conferences, etc. But isn't this not a win-win-win situation? The SEC wins by getting the opportunity to have multiple teams in the CFP, same as everyone else, but they have the best players and track record of any conference. The ACC, Big 12, Pac-12 all win since now they have uh, legit shots at getting two teams in on the regular with outside shots at three. See the if the new format was applied to past years. The G5 schools win since they are guaranteed a spot every year and have decent chances at more than one team getting in. Ultimately, it is hard to see how this doesn't at worst improve the chances of a non-Bama, Clemson, Ohio State winning at all. Is there a case to be made that this is worse than the current format for the Pack or anyone else? I mean, I think I've made that case about a million times. Yeah. 
But, um, I mean, yeah, there's a case to be made. If you want to make the case that this improves access for all of these and they can, you know, get multiple teams in with a, you know, an outside chance at winning, fine. That's fine. Um, I don't, I mean, I've, I've made the arguments to death and I don't feel like continuing to make a losing argument into the void because it doesn't matter because it's going to expand anyway. So I'm not going to do it again. Um, but yeah, I mean, what you're saying is valid. Like these things, um, might all, um, um, shake out for the best. And maybe there is a little bit more luck to be had for, uh, the also ran teams. Um, and we'll see because it's going to happen. So we'll see. And that is the thing, like we're going to get something. So I think trying to look at, well, how can, I, I think the SEC was the best at gaming the system, right? Um, they were very good at it when the BCS was going on. Um, and, you know, certainly with the playoff, uh, they've been the best at it. I think if you're the Pac-12, you got to look at what the positives are. Okay, you make some more money. That's great. But if you get to host a playoff game a lot of times, that's cool too. The one thing I didn't bring up, David, um, was the potential end of divisions. And I think Pete Thamel talked about this on his podcast, you know, the, the Yahoo Sports podcast a little bit too, where – you're trying to avoid the six and six team, you know, winning the conference because that team wouldn't be ranked in the top six of the conference champions and your conference champion wouldn't make the playoff. So instead of having the North or the South or the East or the West, you have the two best teams, basically like the big 12 does it now, I believe. So there's a potential if this goes through or when it goes through that some of these conferences reevaluate and say, we're not going to use geography as a means to determine who's playing in the championship game. We're going to um, allow the two best teams to play because I think one of the examples was like a North Carolina team that's in the top 15 and Clemson play. Um, you know, you if North Carolina wins, they're going to get in, you know, uh, but Clemson yeah. will still get in. You know? So, Jerron, uh, one of the consequences of this thing is exactly what Ryan is talking about right now, which is the sacrifice of everything that regular season is structured around just to make this playoff. Um, uh, talking about taking away divisions, taking away the natural geography of all of that stuff, just to reorganize it so you have a better chance of making the playoff, um, which that's the way this is all trending. Um, but that's not the way this sport has always been. Um and so it's going to be a big shift. I don't think people are fully acknowledging how much it is going to diminish the regular season. But what Ryan is talking about right now is diminishing the regular season. It's making it focused solely on one of your conference teams or two of your conference teams or three of your conference teams making the playoff. And that's the goal. Yeah. Uh, and it reorganizes everything around that goal, which isn't necessarily bad. But I think everyone needs to prepare themselves for the idea that your regular season games are not going to feel the same um, in this format. They're going to feel a little bit less. Um, and that's just going to be the new normal. Yeah. Uh, this is confusing. This next one from Thomas. Did they? Did he send this one already? Um, yeah. Curious if, yeah. Did, so we don't need to read it again. Okay. That was one we already did. Okay. I was just wait. Um, there's the voicemail. And then it's Danny. Okay. Danny DC in LA uh, said, Hey guys, question for you. The August and all knowing body of PAC 12 knowledge. Why doesn't the PAC 12 add four more teams making this conference? The first to 16, 16 would do several things in my humble opinion. Okay. 
one. 16 could mean four divisions with four, each with four teams, presumably each uh, treat and each team, team in each division. Team. I'm sorry. He's got to mean team there. Yeah, I would say that's a team. Each team in each division would play each other every year, making rivalries in each division more intense. Two, being uh, first means Pac-12 or Pac-16 could pick the most attractive schools. I could see getting Texas, Texas Tech, Nebraska, BYU. It would be compelling to those schools as it would give them access to California recruits. As an aside, it would also give the legacy Pac-12 schools access to the Texas recruits. And three, the Pac-16 could legitimately claim that their territory is everyone west of the Mississippi. Love the show. Never miss it. And always hit refresh every day to get the podcast ASAP. Well, that's cool. Uh, P.S. Your last show, you said you were going to defer my question on UCLA playing uh, at SoFi Stadium, copied below. And two, you're both on the pod. Looking forward to hearing your perspective on that one, too. Okay. So this was, I didn't realize this was both of them. All right. Well, I love love the Pac-16. Um, idea. Uh, I think it's a little bit harder than we're thinking to get Texas, Texas Tech, Nebraska, and BYU. Right. I love it in theory. Why the hell not? Um, I actually think my crazy idea is, um, okay, the whole college football won't maybe do it. Develop a promotion and relegation system just with the Mountain West. Like, just have a relationship with the Mountain West where, like, you get to promote a couple of teams, you get to demote a couple of teams, and you have, like, agreements to play each other in the non-conference. Yeah, I mean, any kind of relegation thing. That would be so sick, dude. It would be awesome. awesome. And no, you have built-in built like opponents. Built-in opponents every year. Yeah. Um, I love that. I think that would be cool. Like, you want your own, you know, whatever. Like, you, something that's unique to the Pac-12. Like, going to 16 is sort of like, if you could get teams like that, sure. But you're probably adding, like, San Diego State and Boise State and stuff. I think it's better to have, um, you know, like you what you said, a relationship with the Mountain West and a relegation series. Like that that bowl game, the uh, Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, the first place team in the Mountain West plays the fifth place team. Yeah, no, in that's the that that that's like uh, the relegation bowl. Just <laughs> make it the first place team versus the last place Pac-12 team. <laughs> and then and then you get to like yeah, you get to move up. Yeah. Uh, that would be kind of cool. Relegation is awesome. Like we both uh, despise soccer, but relegation kicks it's, ass. You know, so I don't good. even understand it all. It's just like a neat concept. So I think that would be a great, you know, uh, you know, whatever. Like that's the the Pac-12's claim to fame, or whatever you want to say, is that there's relegation. Damn, that would be fun. It'd be so cool. All right, and then the other question that Danny had uh, was. Whether they should break oh. the whether UCLA should break the Rose Bowl lease and play at SoFi, yeah. So that was um, so he. Oh, I think it's a beautiful idea. They're not going to do it, Danny, uh, but it's a beautiful idea, and they absolutely should. Um, uh, the Rose Bowl, uh, God love it. It's an old ass stadium, um, way far away from UCLA. Diminishes student attendance. Um, they, they don't need to play there. I, I I know for a lot of people it's like tradition or whatever, and it's a beautiful stadium or whatever. Who gives a shit? Uh, no, play play at SoFi. Get some of your fan base actually there. My, I mean, that was my thought. That like it seems to make sense. I mean, he talks about you know if you go to the Rose Bowl, it's like a single lane residential street to get into the damn. Yeah, no, it's yeah. it's a it's a pain. It's an absolute pain. And yeah, okay, you get to stare at some mountains while you're watching football. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> really far away from UCLA. Um, SoFi is you know 
for better or worse, it's closer. Um, uh, requires a little bit less traffic to get there from UCLA. Um, yeah, no, do so fine. So, the, I mean, that was my thought too. Like, this probably would make, you know, as far as like football sense goes, yeah, play it so fine. But what are the reasons, like the traditional, re- like what, what would stop this from from happening? Because I don't think it's like the Pasadena that, that, residents. I'm, I'm pretty sure the homie, the homie Dan Guerrero and the gift that keeps on giving, I think he signed like a 30-year lease with the Rose Bowl. Oh. Um, so I think that's, I mean, it's an issue. I think you can always break a lease, um, but it's an issue. And then uh, tradition, tradition heads. Um, there's a big tradition head element around UCLA sports generally. Um, and uh, it just, it's hard for them to think uh, differently about this stuff. Um, you know, we don't hang banners for final fours and we don't play anywhere but the Rose bowl, except we, you know, not on, not the Rose bowl for the game that actually matters, you know, all these things. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I think it's a much better idea to play at SoFi. Um, and hopefully that's something that happens in the near future. Yeah. Uh, would that be a little more motivation to get to the actual Rose bowl, but not playing home games there? <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> Like, no, nah, I don't want to make one more damn bus trip up to the Rose Bowl. Let's not play there. How big of it is for the students? Like, because you're going to. It's a pain in the ass. It was a pain yeah. in the ass as a student. Like, I, uh, you know, would find a way up there, um, either go with my older brother or whatever. But, like, you have to take a bus. Um, you've got to be there for the bus after the game. Um, just, I don't know. It was a, a real pain. I mean, when you look at what, like, USC students can do, you can, like, roll out of bed hungover, just kind of, like, roll over to the stadium. Like, you know, basically you're walking, like, 400 feet and you're there. Um, And that's how it is at most schools. Uh, UCLA, it's not like it's just a drive. It's not like it's just going over to Jackie Robinson Stadium to watch a baseball game. It's 30 friggin' miles, and most game days, it's a lot of traffic. Like, a lot of traffic. If it's anything afternoon on a Saturday getting up there, it's a pain. Um, Yeah. So it's just, yeah, I mean, I, I think it ends up being something where, you know, UCLA students get a lot of bad rap for their fan attendance at various things. But like the amount of students that show up to the Rose Bowl, I'm always in awe that there's a ton of them there for like certain games. It's like, I, I, I don't know, like if I wasn't covering the team my senior year, I don't know if I was coming to the Rose Bowl. Are you freaking kidding? Pain in the ass. I would say. We're in an era now that even if it's easy to go to a game, I mean, it's more expensive. Yeah. Um, the good. COVID restrictions. The TV, it, and the TV stuff is so good now. Yeah. It's one thing um, even like 10, 15 years ago. But now like even bad productions of games, you've got so many angles. You've got so much stuff on the screen. Like you can you, – you, you're watching so much that's hard to view in a stadium. Like it's, you know, it's a, it's a better viewing experience to watch it on your TV. Um, so you really have to, I don't know, you got to make that part easier on them. Uh, and not to say that SoFi would be in a piece of cake. Obviously the goal is to eventually have a UCLA stadium near it, um, you know, or build something out of Drake or whatever. But uh, SoFi would certainly be an improvement. Yeah, I, it, it is tough because the, the, you know, it's such a great experience to watch games in your house and you can be on the social media and all that kind of stuff. At least SoFi would have, you know, that big screen up there, all the technology stuff, you know, Wi-Fi and everything, just all that would be upgraded. So at least give, 
fans and students a better opportunity to uh, to watch the game in person. But I, I think everyone's fighting the battle of trying to get people to watch the game in person isn't an easy task nowadays. Yeah, so just to give everyone some perspective, it's about 30 miles from UCLA to uh, the Rose Bowl, and it's uh, 14 to SoFi. Yeah, so, so significantly easier. And there's like freeways and stuff, not... Yeah, it's not one weird road into it. Um, so, yeah, it would be an improvement. Uh, obviously not the perfect one, but it would certainly be an improvement. Oh, all right. Okay, next up we have Earl in West L.A. Carol Smith Gilbert and Met Tucker. I'm guessing Mel Tucker. Uh, guys. Yes, Mel. Uh, last year, Michigan State used some of their big TV money to hire away Mel Tucker after one season at Colorado. This week, Georgia hired away Carol Smith Gilbert from USC, who just won her second NCAA track and field championship last week. I recall predictions of this happening due to the disparity in payouts for the Big Ten and SEC schools from their TV networks compared to the Pac-12 network schools. What can the new Pac-12 commissioner do to close the gap with the competition? Uh, I don't know anything about the track coach, but I don't know if that's really uh, like a great example. I mean, maybe USC just didn't care. Um the Mel Tucker thing, I think that's a classic case of, um, um, yes, Big Ten money helped there, but also they poached from one of the schools that's the least cash rich in the Pac-12. Uh, if Mel Tucker had been coaching at Oregon at that time, I don't know that Michigan State had been able to pull him away, if, I'm, if you take my meaning. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is an interesting one. I don't uh, haven't dug into a lot of the details yet. Uh, it's interesting because her son, Spencer Gilbert, is a— He's on the football team. Uh, he should be a redshirt junior this year. They're from the South. Uh, they're from Alabama. Um, her husband played football at Alabama. I actually golfed with him uh, one time at one of those tournaments and stuff. Um, cool dude. So, and she did win her second national championship. You know, she was the first woman to you know coach the men at USC. I believe that's going to be the same case uh, at Georgia. So, you know, that they have a lot of. Um, track history at USC, but most of it was, you know, like in the seventies and stuff where they won just tons of championships. And, you know, now tracks weird. Cause you're getting like, you know, quarter scholarship. There's just not as many scholarships like some of the other sports. Or there's just not a lot of stuff to go around. Um, but you know, the fact that she was able to have that much success at USC, I think it's disturbing to lose a coach like that. I don't know that I'll try to find out some of the details Earl and, and dig into it a little bit. Just haven't had time this week, but, um, it didn't go over well on the message boards. You know, it's not like people follow track all the time, but you're like, Hey, you get a, you know, they've liked what the new athletic director has done as far as coaching hires go. Uh, like they bring in, um, uh, you know, the, you know, Lindsay, the coach from, uh, the, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, you know, to bring her in and she was an NBA coach and now she's going to coach USC women's basketball. They like a lot of the hires, uh, that they've made. This was a good hire from before, but to lose one, you know, I don't know if it's budget or whatever, or if it's, you know, the family wanted to get back to the South, all that, but she's had a lot of success in her, you know, short time at USC. Uh, I believe her son will still be on the team, but I don't know that uh, yet, but um, yeah, I don't, sorry, Earl. I don't know all the, the details of, of why that went down, but could, you know, could being able to throw a lot more money at a track coach in the SEC because you get a ton more money from your TV contracts? Maybe, but I mean, I, I would assume it had something to do with it. Yeah, maybe something. Um, hard to know, though. Yeah. Um, 
let's see we got this one that's uh people wanting some swag and then i think we got one last one Ooh, yeah baby you got bobby will willer and herm rhetoric okay so this is going to be from an asu perspective so we pretty much crushed uh, asu at the top so i think bobby's going to try to bring us back down to earth here hi ryan just no dave just me uh, I'm an ASU fan, so of course he I'm going to... He knows how hard I crushed Herm. <laughs> He's an ASU fan, so of course I'm going to be skeptical of anyone critical of Herm, but it seems like Wilner has kicked it into overdrive. Wilner has been hating on ASU and uh, Antonio Pearson Herm the past couple of days, more so than most journalists. One thing in particular Wilner tweeted out is something that is factually inaccurate, but it implies that ASU did something... Uh, untowards in the game versus Oregon a couple of years ago. Let's see. Wilner. Uh, Prentice Gill, referenced in this story, was an Oregon analyst in 2019 when Arizona State upset the Ducks. Ten days after the game, he joined ASU as an assistant recruiting coordinator. And he gives a link to the tweet. This implies that Gill had something to do with why Arizona State beat Oregon, even though he still worked at Oregon. This calls into question his agenda, because he's clearly anti-Herm slash AP, uh, Antonio Pierce. Not sure if I can really bring myself to trust the motives of his reporting when he's tweeting out stuff like that, which is 100% conjecture. I mean, did Prentice Gill unlock a cheat code for Frank Darby and Brandon Ayuk that allowed them to torch the Oregon defensive backfield that was supposed to be one of the best in the Pac-12 that season? How would the offensive playbook help ASU's offense? But I digress. I'm still waiting uh, for more allegations to come out. But if I'm being honest, I don't think contact during COVID is a big enough deal to clutch pearls at. I remember hearing a specific story about a Texas A&M coach, quote, bump contact with Christian Kirk back a few years ago. Stuff like this happens often. And to act like this is some groundbreaking cheating that Arizona State has devised is disingenuous at best. I'm sure ASU football will get penalized in some way for its infractions, but I'm still waiting for the shooter drop on some meaty charges like paying players or providing illicit drugs slash strippers slash et cetera, AKA the Louisville special. Otherwise that just seems like a molehill that Wilner and friends are trying to make a mountain of thanks from Bobby. I'm just going to walk away, Dave, and let you go at this. Yeah. The shoe already dropped Bobby. Um, that was the report about the, um, bunch of visits during the COVID stuff. Now, um, you might be one of the people who, you know, uh, treated that differently than others. And that's, you know, whatever. It's your deal. Um, but it is a big, it was a big deal. Um, it is a big deal. It's a big enough deal to clutch pearls at or take seriously like uh, everybody seems to be doing and should. Um, it's a bigger deal than a bump contact with Christian Kirk back a few years ago. Because um, that's like at a recruiting event or whatever. So like doing a bump contact, no big deal. Hosting official visits during a time when nobody can host official visits, that's a huge deal. Uh, even if you uh, just treat it as the rule itself. Um, outside of the rule itself, the fact that it was during a pandemic, the fact that it was introducing people from out of state into the state uh, to potentially spread more of the virus around to people in the community and more than likely uh, contributing to a few deaths, big deal. So, yeah, uh, it's a big deal. Um I don't know about the Prentice Gill stuff. Yeah, I mean, who knows? But um, look, I mean, you, you want to defend your school, and that's fine. Um, you want to defend Herm, that's fine. Uh, but no, I mean, it is a big deal. Um, and whether it results in him being fired or serious uh, infractions or whatever, will you, uh, that remains to be seen. Um, but I don't think it's people making a mountain out of a molehill. I mean, it's a, 
it's a big deal. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, we talked about this and it just, you know, when you look at what Arizona state went through and the only team to miss those three games like that, um, while recruits were coming in from all over the country, like David said, uh, you know, everyone looks at this different, you know, and, and Dave would call some people's views of COVID stupid or whatever, but like this, this does seem like you're bringing someone from outside that you don't know what they've been doing. I'm sure they weren't quarantining for, you know, Hey, you can come visit Tempe, but you had a quarantine in your house for, you know, two weeks. Um, you're getting on planes. They had been recruiting parts of the country that they traditionally haven't been recruiting as hard, uh, or as well. Um, but the, the COVID beyond the competitive, you know, disadvantage or, you know, that you put the other teams in the pac 12, it's really this, you know, you could have been a contributor to the spreading of the virus. Well, there was reasons why you didn't want people coming to your campus. And the fact that you missed three games, like I think it would be more important to, to, to have those three games than to host some, some visitors that you yeah, brought I mean, in from somewhere. That's a good question. Like for Bobby, um, would it be a big deal? Would you find this to be a big deal if you found out that hosting these visits is what actually canceled those games? Like if you found out that that was the thing, like they, they brought somebody on campus who tested positive when he got home or whatever. And that was what prompted the contact tracing that closed the program for three straight weeks. Like if you found out that, would that be a big enough deal? Um, cause that's major loss of revenue for the school. Um, that's, you know, all those meaningful things that, uh, people who didn't even take COVID seriously found important. Um, and I, I don't think that's a, a, I don't think that's disingenuous. I think that's a real concern here. Like did the, and it's not even just, okay, did those directly result in the program closing? But the fact that they were hosting visits speaks to, wow, they really weren't taking this seriously. So what other, uh, you know, drop-offs did they have that led to them missing three straight weeks? Was it just bad luck? Or was it the fact that this, and not only this, they were doing a bunch of other stupid stuff that, you know, made this happen? Um, so, no, this calls, this calls into question their entire judgment, and it needs now review by ASU or the president's office or whoever to figure out whether this stuff was uh, pervasive, whether it wasn't just recruiting, but also they weren't, you know, following restrictions or guidelines or whatever. Um, because, again, you cannot ignore the fact that ASU got hit harder than anyone else by COVID. And now it looks like, well, in at least one major area, they were being very stupid in how they were treating this. Yeah. Um, you know, it could be one of those things, too, where you you bring in a prospect that was clean, that you know wasn't really doing anything wrong, comes in, well, I guess you're going to this faraway campus, and there's some kind of outbreak in Tempe, and now you're sending... Maybe the prospect didn't come with COVID, but he goes home with it and spreads it somewhere else too. So that, yeah, it's, there's a whole like spider web of things that could have been happening from this. And, you know, we do have some evidence that games were missed, you know, and a lot of games were missed and the, the, if things weren't locked down and you were still bringing in people from the outside, that could be why it extended longer than what other programs that had COVID outbreaks had. Yeah. Yeah. But. I mean, it's all speculation, but the, it doesn't look good. This, um, oh, but this is but the important note is that, yes, it is speculation, but this kind of judgment, this kind of thing opens you up to all of that speculation now. Yeah. And it opens you up to all of that investigation now. 
Um, because if the university uh, has its druthers, it would now look into all this stuff. Um, because I don't know, there might be like legal ramifications of this sort of thing too. Like, I, I don't know. This this could go you know spiraling downward. Um, so interested to follow uh, along, but no, I don't think this is a minor deal. Um, I, I think it's. You know, potentially it's it's a tip of the iceberg type thing yeah all right well that's the last question i did get an email while we were um discussing this uh, all that you know on our show the pac-12 football media day will be held tuesday july 27th in los angeles so oh uh, what is that Vegas, baby come on i know well, uh, west hollywood hotel at the w uh hollywood not the west hollywood the w hollywood hotel in la so not going to go back to Hollywood and Highland. Um, one day event, 12 head coaches and two student athletes from each university. The 12, and the 12 athletic directors, uh, plus representatives from the conference staff, uh, including Commissioner George Klyakov. Um, got Merton Hanks, who's uh, the football operations guy. So, yeah, they're going to go to Hollywood Boulevard instead of, um, well, I guess this is just down the street on Hollywood Boulevard, but not the... Uh, Hollywood and Highland, and it's not Las Vegas, but that's July 27th. So look forward to that. Exciting. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, anything else, Dave? No, I'm tapped out. I'm spent. I am spent as well. Uh, an hour and 20 minutes talking Pac-12 football and actually mostly Pac-12 football. There was, was really a lot of off topic stuff. I was challenged in the five-star reviews. And so I decided to really go for it. Yeah. And the questions didn't really go into anything else. We didn't have to compare every coach to a, you know, popsicle flavor or anything. So, uh, good stuff though. Can you guys get back to it next week? I want some stupid questions next week. (laughs) Bring it on, bring it on. Um, all right. Well, that'll wrap things up for David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the podcast of champions. Hope you enjoyed the show. And we will talk to you next time. Goodbye.